Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Awaken. Micah, you're going to need to take a seat. We're getting started. Um, For those of you I haven't met yet, my name is Jenna. I'm the executive pastor here at Awaken. Um, We're really glad you're here. A couple things to note. Once a month, we take down the screen and have something we call Sacred Sunday. So there are bulletins. If you didn't get one, it's in the back. Otherwise, I'll run around and... If you need one, I will give that to you after our call to worship today, Um, which is why I'm here on a stage uh, inviting us to our time of worship this morning. Um, For what I chose, it's a book called To Bless the Space Between Us by John O'Donohue. And I wanted to give a little bit of context for where this is coming from for me. Um, This weekend, I had the honor, privilege, in some ways, hardship of presiding over my uncle's funeral um, just a few weeks after I got married. And it's been this week kind of a reflection that, man, joy and sorrow really do hold hands. Um, And so it's been a lot of reflection for me around the fragility and tenderness of of the one life that we really do have. Um, So some gratitude this morning that we're here together. So that's really where it's coming from for me. With that, I'd love to invite you to stand um, and receive these words to the degree you're able. Somewhere out at the edges, the night is turning and the waves of darkness begin to brighten the shore of dawn. The heavy dark falls back to earth and the freed air goes wild with light. The heart fills with fresh, bright breath, and thoughts stir to give birth to color. I rise today. In the name of silence, womb of the word, in the name of stillness, home of belonging, in the name of solitude, of the soul and the earth, I arise today. Blessed by all things, wings of breath, delight of eyes, wonder of whisper, intimacy of touch, eternity of soul, urgency of thought, miracle of health, embrace of God. May I live this day compassionate of heart, clear in word, gracious in awareness, courageous in thought, and generous in love. Amen. Would you sing with us? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Awaken. Does anybody remember uh, back at the beginning of the pandemic when we did a little show called Good Morning, Awaken? Does anybody, did anybody ever see any of those? Count yourself lucky, all right? <laughs> no one's back there. I'm looking for my friends. We, early on, we were like, what, what do people need? We're like, well, let's, let's like, you know, after the sermon, we'll get the staff together and we'll talk about, you know, the things that people, questions have about the, the sermon. So 
You're like, yeah, you know, call in or text in or Facebook in or whatever. So we did a live show with the Discover Awaken booth over there and the kids check in. We put them up here like it was a, like a game show or a talk show. It was a real low point in Awaken's history. <laughs> and Facebook has chronicled those forever. So they're out there. All right, friends. Uh, my name is Micah. I am one of the pastors here at Awaken. Very glad that you're with us. Uh, if you're new, welcome to you. We'd love to know that you were here. So in the seat pockets there in front of you or online, you can click the I'm new button there on the homepage and let us know that you were with us. Somebody from our team will reach out. We'd love to invite you to a beverage of your choice and get to know you a little bit more. Uh, those cards and any tithes or offerings, if you've brought them this morning or filled them out, can go in the black boxes at the exits. We're grateful for those. A couple things happening in the life of the community we want to let you know about, first of which is an every meal packing event. So we have a number of kind of declared missional partners. One of them is Every Meal, which is an organization that provides food to kiddos who maybe wouldn't, uh, who would struggle to eat over the weekends when they're not in school and have school lunches. So those, those meals get packed and put in their backpacks in the, in the school and they get to take them home. Uh, so a group of us are headed up to the, the warehouse where those meals are, where they start. Uh, that's December the 10th. Uh, it's 1 to 3. I think that's a, a weekend, a Saturday possibly. Um, but Tanya Kugel uh, kind of heads that up. So if you get the Awaken Weekly, the contact information and how to sign up is in there. Uh, and it's just email Tanya. Their website is, uh, it's, uh, it's really hard to navigate. And I have tried many times. So just email Tanya. She'll get you on the list. So that's that, December the 10th. Uh, also, Advent is coming, a couple weeks. We've got two weeks left in this series, and then Advent begins. Crikey. So that's the 27th of November, and we will start Advent with a kickoff. Uh, it's the beginning of the church calendar. If you didn't grow up in the church, the church calendar starts on, in Advent. Uh, so we're going to kick off that, uh, that season with a uh, good old-fashioned Swedish meatball gathering, friends. Uh, yep, yep. We'll have, it'll be an outdoor event. We'll light the Christmas tree here on the, on the lawn. We've got carols, and the kids will sing. It's a lovely time, uh, accompanied by Swedish meatballs, mashed potatoes, gravy, lingonberry sauce, all in a red Solo cup. So if you missed out on college... If you missed out on the college solo cup, this is your opportunity to redeem yourself, all right? Uh, so again, dress for the weather. That's November the 27th. 4 p.m. we'll start that, and then we'll light the tree after the sun goes down and sing some carols. It'll be lovely. Um, you can RSVP to that or for that so we know how many meatballs to buy. Uh, and then if you have a favorite uh, Christmas cookie, we'd invite you to bake that and bring it to share. And there'll just be a good old-fashioned Christmas cookie exchange. It's going to be so great. So, so good. Uh, also, with Advent, um, two things throughout the whole season of Advent. One is, uh, usually this time of year, we um, try to fill up our freezer downstairs. So we have a, a big, deep freezer uh, that Heather Crawford kind of manages the meals that get put in there. And those go out to folks when they uh, have a baby or someone's in the hospital or they just need some respite and some care. So if you would like to, to add a meal to that, we would love to, to gather those during the, the season of Advent. So you can bake that, freeze it, bring it to church. We'll get it in the freezer and that'll go out um, under the radar. No one will ever know you did it. That's how we do it around here. Just um, no attention brought to it. Just love. So that's that. Uh, and then also during Advent, uh, we have uh, another missional partner, Aim Die Young, which is uh, an organization that serves indigenous youth here in St. Paul. 
And so they are doing kind of a, a, a supplies drive. So uh, in the Awaken Weekly, there's a list of the things that they are asking for. Uh, and again, they serve indigenous youth here in St. Paul and uh, are one of our partners. And 1% of tithes and offerings at Awaken goes to that ministry, um, which is very exciting. So um, if you have any other questions about that kind of stuff, the Awaken Weekly is your best bet. Sound good? All right, friends, um, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 16 this morning, so if you want to go there in a Bible, um, I'll let you know that. I'm going to start with an all-play question. This is uh, something I borrow, a stole from my friend Steve Weens over at uh, former pastor Genesis Covenant. So I'll ask a question, and I actually want your answers. I'd love to know. And surgeon's warning, we're going like deep right away, all right? So in case you need to put your seatbelt on, now's the time to do that. Here's the all-play question. I'm wondering, what are some of the deepest divisions among humans in our world? What are the deepest divisions in our world among humans? What are some of them? Can we name them? Religion. Thank you. Politics. Somebody said, and politics again. <laughs> what? Cultural norms. Okay. Race. I hear, what did I hear back here? Money. Yep. Gender. Wow. That is fantastic. <laughs> I wish you could have seen this. Like, Michael's just back here and, like, totally chill. He's a uh, duck, duck, gray duck. <laughs> yes. That's dynamite. Best answer yet. You win. Somebody said Coke and Pepsi first hour. I thought that was pretty good, but that's a winner. Uh, by show of hands, duck, duck, gray duck. Duck, duck, goose. Oh, it's about an even split. It's about an even split. That's great. That's great. You know what, friends? At Awaken, you're all welcome here. <laughs> duck, duck, gray duck. Duck, duck, goose. The table, the table is available for you, regardless of your posture or position on duck, duck, gray duck. Uh, yeah, what are some of the deepest divisions among humans? And, and here's a follow-up question, more of a rhetorical question, one I'd love you to think about. Um, how do we heal the deepest divisions among humans? How do we become the kinds of people who can step into those spaces, those divides, and be a source of hope, be a source of healing, uh, offer maybe a different story or a different narrative in the midst of that conflict. Uh, these are some of the things I want to talk about and circle around this morning. Uh, many of you know that the Bible begins with a story in Genesis 1 and 2 about a garden called Eden. Eden in Hebrew means delight. So God plants a garden in a place called delight. And in that garden exists... God's hopes and dreams for the world. What God intends for what God creates. Shalom, peace, flourishing. One author says, universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. This is the Hebrew concept of shalom. It's not just the absence of war, but it's actually a, a, a generative, like, active thing. And this is where the story begins. And in Eden, the life-giving presence of the divine is there. It's where it rests. It's where it lives. It emanates from there. And in that garden, there is a river. And that river flows out of the garden and goes to the four corners of the earth. It, it's for the healing of the nations. 
That is the original source. That's the material. It's the sound that echoes again and again throughout Scripture. That idea of Eden, the biblical authors, come back to over and over and over again. And when they do, they often use the metaphor of a river or a spring, or a well. And so this series is called The Echoes of Eden. We're looking at places in Scripture where we find water, a river, a well, a spring, and moments where people encounter the presence of God, the healing, life-giving, whole presence of God, as an echo back to the story and where it began. So that's the series. You also maybe know that in, uh, it doesn't take long in Genesis chapter 3, for the first humans to have sort of an existential crisis, right? An existential question around the nature of God. What is God like? Is God good and benevolent and abundant? Is there scarcity or some other reality where all that they have is provided or is there need to go outside of that provision and to decide on their own, to get it on their own, right? This is the story of Adam and Eve and the tree from the, no- or the, the fruit from the knowledge of good and evil, and that, the result of that episode in Genesis chapter 3 plays itself out in Genesis chapter 4 with a story about two brothers, right? Cain and Abel. And violence enters the story. Cain kills his brother Abel. And God asks one of the most profound and important questions in all of Scripture. And some would argue that Genesis, uh, the rest of Genesis is trying to answer this question. Cain kills Abel and God says to Cain, where is your brother? And Abel says, or Cain says, does anyone remember? Am I my brother's keeper? Arguably, the rest of Genesis is answering or or wrestling with that question. Am I my brother's keeper? Is my brother, my sister, my neighbor, the other, is their welfare my responsibility? Am I bound to my neighbor, my brother, my sister, relationally in such a way that their well-being is tied up in my well-being? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I an island? Am I to seek my own care and, and nourishment and fulfillment? Or is somehow my brother's welfare also bound to me? Am I my brother's keeper? After Cain and Abel, if you think about it, there's just a bunch of stories about siblings, right? Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, Abraham and Lot were siblings, well, cousins. Um, And today I'd like to talk about two of those being Isaac and Ishmael. What are some of the deepest divides among humans, right? This is where we started. Isaac and Ishmael, the story of Isaac and Ishmael, is a story about two brothers, and often this story gets... um, placed into a narrative that we have probably heard or are familiar with, right? Isaac is the story of the Jewish people from uh, this person, this son, the seed of Abraham, the the, the offspring of Sarah, comes the the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people in the Bible, and Ishmael, the, the offspring of Hagar, comes another group of people, also known as the Arabs or Muslims. And so we think about Isaac and Ishmael, and very often, for many of us, there are some play- tapes that get playing, right? Some, some commentary that we are familiar with. And I, I want to talk about Isaac and Ishmael this morning, and I actually want to offer a completely alternative understanding and reading of this story. But I don't want to do so before I say, uh, 
I think it's important for us to recognize that this is not a simple story. Right? When you think about Israel and Palestine, if we think about Isaac and Ishmael and the conflict that exists right now in that land, on that, in that place, that um, it often gets read into this. Right? That conflict gets answered by this, oh, it's Isaac and Ishmael. Right? The scripture says that there will always be hostility between these two brothers, and so there it is. And I want to say that that is a really, really reductionistic viewing, uh, view of the conflict that exists there. And it also does, it bypasses and sort of gets you and I off the hook because many would argue, and I spoke with some friends who are very familiar with this conflict, who do a lot of peacemaking work in Israel and Palestine. This is the cohort Laura and I were a part of. Um, and Jer Swigert, uh, as we were talking, he said, I think it's important to remember, Micah, and, and a lot of scholars and people in this work would, would say, to read Israel-Palestine as Isaac and Ishmael is, um, is very unfortunate because this is a story, this is a conflict that is arguably more about Christianity's role in colonizing other places, and in particular, British the British Empire, and their colonization of the Middle East and the conflict that has ensued because of that and, it, and its influence than it is about Isaac and Ishmael. So I want to just say that uh, up front. This is not a sermon about Israel and Palestine and the conflict that exists there, but I would be remiss to kind of not say anything about that and talk about Isaac and Ishmael without at least inviting you to consider um, thinking critically and a little deeper about that, should you choose to. Is that... Everybody got that? Okay. Um, so, uh, I want to offer uh, a very different reading of this story. That Isaac and Ishmael is not a... Redu uh, to reduce them down to this conflict that exists in Israel and Palestine, um, there may be a better way to read this story, and I'd like to explore that with you this morning. Are you up for that? Okay. So, my friend Angie's going to read the text, uh, Genesis chapter 16. If you are able, I would invite you to stand for the reading of the word. And then we will, I have one, one thing I want to say to you today. It's going to take me about 20 minutes to do it. Here we go. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. Then the angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child, and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. 
He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. Pray with me. God, this morning as we take a little bit of time out of our busy lives to pause, to journey to a place for a particular reason. Um, we've come from our homes and our work and our lives to this sanctuary. And many of us, myself included, do so because we, we, we think that, we believe that when we gather, um, you're with us and that your presence is near. And when we gather, we can do something together that we can't do alone. And so in the next, uh, in this hour that we have together, God, would you um, speak a word of encouragement, a word of hope, a word of life into and over us so that we might be sent back out into the world as people um, who have been marked marked by your love and your hope and your healing. We pray in Christ's name and by the power of the Spirit. And the church said together, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> uh, before we say anything else, can we just say that the Bible is weird? Sometimes uh, this is a story about a marriage, a biblical marriage, <laughs> in which there are multiple parties and um, where, the, where it seems to be okay to give one of your wives to your husband for purposes, right? <laughs> That's all in the Bible, friends. Um, and it is a weird story. Uh, however, it, it, it has within it uh, an arc that I want to try to let you in on a little bit. We read one little portion in Genesis chapter 16 where... Sarai and Abram uh, and Hagar uh, experienced something, but I'll back up just a little bit and then we'll keep going forward a little bit so you can get the, the general sense of this story of Isaac and Ishmael, and then I want to offer uh, maybe some, some clues into a different reading of this text, right? So, if you back up just a couple of chapters in Genesis chapter 12, Abram and Sarai, before their names are changed to Abraham and Sarah, uh, meet God, are, have an experience with God, and are, are told that God will bless them through a child, and that through that child there would be a nation that would become too numerous to count, like the sands in the seashore, and that God would bless the world through blessing them. Right? This nation becomes Israel, the Hebrew people in the Bible. So that's the promise. 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 uh, chapters go on, and Abram and Sarai are trying to conceive, trying to conceive, and it is not happening. It is not working. And so Sarai decides to take matters into her own hands in some ways and says, hey, how about this? Why don't you sleep with my servant Hagar, and maybe we can get this promise going through her because it's not working with me. That happens, and um, that's weird. 
but it happens. And so Sarai, uh, or Hagar, does that and gets pregnant with uh, a child. And immediately, tension builds between Hagar and Sarah. It's like a soap opera. You can see it happening. And Sarai uh, gets mad, and it says that she, she mistreats her servant. The word there is afflicted, which happens to be the same word that gets used in Egypt, what they're doing to the Israelites. Isn't that fascinating? So later in the story, the Egyptians afflict the Israelites. But early on, we have the Israelite, or soon-to-be Israelite, Sarah, afflicting the Egyptian servant. Fascinating, interesting. Either way, Hagar gets out of Dodge. She leaves town. She l- runs to the wilderness, uh, a, a word and a, and a theme that is a wonderful study in scripture, if you'd like to spend some more time there. She goes to the wilderness, and she thinks she's going to die. She's with child. She thinks she's going to die. And out of the blue, she's met by God at a well, at a spring. She has an experience with God, and she names that experience where she feels like God sees her. She's the first person in Scripture to name God, and she's the first woman in Scripture to speak and name and talk to God. So that's pretty cool. She names the place Be'er Lahoi Roy, which means the God who sees me. She goes back to uh, her, her maidservant, the angel tells her to. And in Genesis 17, interestingly, circumcision, which is a sign of the covenant of the, Israel, of the Hebrew people, is instructed by God to Abraham. But do you know the first, first uh, son to be circumcised in the story? It's Ishmael. Isaac's not even born yet. So Abraham and Ishmael are circumcised, which is the sign of the covenant. In Genesis 21, Isaac is born. So Sarai, who becomes Sarah, gets pregnant finally, and Isaac is born. And in that moment, there's an interaction between Hagar and Sarah, and it says that Hagar sahakt, and it's the root word for the word laugh. You can hear Isaac in that word. That's what Isaac means, laughter. So some of your translations say mocked her, um, that Hagar mocked Sarah or laughed, um, which that word shows up seven times in this story. Seven has all kinds of meaning. This is such a rich, rich story. There's so much here. But Sarah gets mad and she's like, send her away. Uh, so now twice, Hagar, once with child, now with a child, is sent out into the wilderness. Abraham is distressed by this. He's, he, he doesn't want to do this. But God says, listen to your wife. Wives, you can use that. It's Genesis 24, uh, I think. We'll read it in a little bit. But listen to your wife. And so, um, uh, and Abraham is distressed by this, it says. And he sends Hagar off and she leaves and goes into the wilderness again. Again, she finds herself at a place with no food, no water, thinks she's going to die, and the child is going to die. She leaves the child under a bush. She goes out of hearing of the child and begins to weep, and God hears her cry. God hears her cry, sees the child, provides water and food again for, uh, for Hagar, and it says that in, in a very quick turn of moment, it says that uh, God saw the child, God was with the child, Ishmael, and he grew up, he married, he becomes an archer, and he lives in Paran, which is south and west of this well, which is south of Israel, okay? That's the last we hear of Ishmael for a while, Genesis 21. Um, In that time, Sarah dies. She's buried a little bit north of there in a family plot. In Genesis 24, Abraham's servants send... uh, uh, they, they, They go looking for a wife for Isaac. Isaac is now 
grown enough to marry. And so um, the servants of Abraham go looking for a wife to the north. They find a woman named, named Rebecca. Any guesses where? At a well. Come on, guys. <laughs> that, was, that was easy. At a well. <laughs> find her at a well. She comes back. She marries uh, Isaac. And you would think, right? Grand story. Promise given to Abraham and Sarah. Can't have kids. Struggle. Uh, uh, finally, have Isaac. Sarah dies. Buried at the plot. Isaac gets married. Abraham's like, my work here is done. He'd die of a, you know, old age. And in Genesis 25, he remarries. <laughs> we find a woman who is never mentioned in the Bible yet and is never mentioned again. Her name is Keturah says in a few short verses that she bears him six children. And then in verse 8 of chapter 25, Abraham dies. That's the end of the story. Okay, so that's sort of the arc here, right? Um, On the surface, as I said earlier when we started, this story of Isaac and Ishmael is often read as a story about a stepmother, really, Sarah, who spurns a son, Ishmael rejects him, treats him poorly. It's a story about a brother who is rejected. It's a story about sibling rivalry between Isaac and Ishmael and this this strife, this conflict that exists even today among these people. Um, It's a story about um, firstborn sons in patriarchy. If If you look at the scriptures... Often, this idea that the firstborn son would get the blessing, um, uh, it's often like overturned. You know, remember, Jacob steals Esau's birthright. Esau's the oldest. You have Isaac and Ishmael going on here. Lots happening there. It's a story about Isaac is chosen and Ishmael is rejected, right, on the surface. I want to offer a possibility that that is maybe that there's a better way to read this text And I want to offer it based on four things that are actually found in the story if you read it carefully. And here they are. Number one, God blesses Ishmael. In the story, Ishmael is treated poorly only by one person, and that's Sarah. Abraham loves his son Ishmael. Isaac does not treat Ishmael poorly. There is no strife between them in the story. The only person who does is Sarah. And in fact, four different times the writer of Scripture makes explicit that God blesses Ishmael. Genesis 16, I will so increase your descendants, they will be too numerous to count. This is about Ishmael. Sounds a lot like Genesis 12, though, the promise to Abram. Genesis 17, as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him exceedingly. He will be the father of, guess how many? Twelve nations. Does this sound familiar to anybody? And I will make him into a great nation. This is God's word for Ishmael. Genesis 21, listen to whatever Sarah tells you, Abraham. Because it's through Isaac that your descendants will bear your name. But I will make your son of your maidservant into a nation also because he is your offspring. He's talking to Abraham. And then finally, Genesis 21, 17. God heard the boy crying. The angel of God called to Hagar and said to her, What troubles you? Fear not, for God has heard the cry of the boy where he is. Help the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And God was with the boy when he grew up. For those familiar with the story of the Exodus, Exodus chapter 4 is Moses at the burning bush. Right before that, Exodus 3 ends with, God hears, remembers, sees, and knows the Israelite people. It's all in there. It's just fascinating. One of monotheism's greatest truths that often gets missed is while God does 
uh, choose a particular son for a particular destiny, God does not reject Ishmael. Ishmael is treated poorly in the story by Sarah, but God, he is not rejected by God. Like, not even close. Number one. Number two, Abraham remarries Keturah, right? So, uh, again, you'd think after his whole life, he would be buried. Isaac gets married. The promise is happening. This, this, the blessing is going on. But no, he remarries this woman in Keturah. We never hear from her before. We never hear from her again. Um, which is strange on a narrative level, right? Because the writers of Genesis in particular, but Torah in general, they're really good at their job. They're very, very good. And they don't give details that aren't necessary. So they wouldn't just randomly place this woman in there for no purpose at all. And so the rabbis who study this, they know it. And they, they know that this is how the writers work. So they've constantly been asking for generation after generation after generation, who is Keturah? And the fact is we don't know. There is no scriptural evidence for what I'm about to say to you. This is called Midrash. This is a discipline and a tradition in Judaism that the rabbis have been doing since Jesus walked the planet where they think about the, the, the story between the lines that are written in Scripture. So who is Keturah? In this book right here, Not in God's Name, which is fabulous, um, Jonathan Sachs, a rabbi, says, Who is Keturah, said the rabbis, but Hagar herself. Why then is she called Keturah? Because, said the sages, her acts were as fragrant as incense. Keteret is the Hebrew word for incense and fragrant. The rabbis have read this story and they've been put out by it. They've been bothered by it for generations. They've had pangs of compassion for Hagar. And I don't know if you've ever read this story, but have you ever thought to yourself, like, this woman gets the short end of that stick, yeah? I mean, what did she do wrong? Nothing. Nothing at all. She, she like, does everything right. And she's banished. And the rabbis are like, that, there's something going on here. What is happening? Who is Keturah? And so they've said, is it possible? Maybe that Keturah is, in fact, Hagar. Found by her son, Isaac, and reunited with her husband, Abraham. One of the practices of Midrash is connecting unknown characters to known characters. Now, that's an interesting posture. That's an interesting, like, oh, maybe. That could be. Who else would she be? I don't know. That's a fitting story. But... Coupled with the next two things, I think it gets even stronger. Genesis 25, 8 and 9. I didn't tell you guys this because I wanted to save it because it's so just juicy. Genesis 25, Abraham dies, and here's what we read. Isaac and Ishmael, right? Rift between the brothers, separated at birth, like conflict and misery. Then Abraham took his last breath and died at a good old age, old and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him at their family land. I don't know if any of you have family conflict or not. I would go as far as to say that funerals in our setting were a little, are a little different than funerals in the setting of the ancient world. Where maybe you could, if you've been estranged from your brother or your sister... Maybe you could be present at a funeral to bury a parent and there would be awkwardness and conflict and the tension would be very thick, but it could be done. I want to suggest that what has just been said here is like a lot bigger. We find who? 
Isaac and Ishmael together united, burying their father in their family land. How did we get here? How is it where there has been a rift, where these two, like, remember, Ishmael is, he's gone out of Isaac's life in Genesis chapter 20, and when Isaac is a baby being weaned at Sarah's breast. And then, like, a whole lifetime of young adulthood passes, enough time for Isaac to find a a wife, uh, Rebecca, and to begin having children. Enough time for Abram to have six children with Keturah has passed. A lot of time has passed, and these two brothers are nowhere to be seen with each other. And then randomly, at the end of this, this man's life, here they are standing side by side, burying their father, Abraham. I think one of the clues to answering that question, how did we get there, comes in where Isaac is coming from, whenever he's coming from anywhere in this story. So multiple times we're told by the writer of Genesis where Isaac has come from when he is Number uh, The first time when he, uh, his wife, when Rebekah comes, it says that Isaac comes from this place to meet Rebekah. And then after Abraham is dead and buried, it says that Isaac has come from this place. Does anyone have any guesses as to the place that Isaac is coming from in the story? It is the well called Be'er Lahoi Roy. Isaac the estranged brother of Ishmael, is out wandering in the desert for, it would make sense if he was coming from Beersheba. It's where he grew up. It's where his family was. That's where he would have lived. It would have made sense even if he was coming from Hebron, which has connections to Abram's family. But no, for his adult life, he's wandering around south of home in a desert at a well called Be'er Lahoi Roy. And the rabbis ask this, is it possible that Isaac is spending much time and energy looking for his brother? At the place where his mother, his brother's mother, met the living presence. None of that's in the Bible. We're in between the lines here, friends. But it is a fascinating question. And a question I'd like to pose to you this morning. The story of the Bible begins in a garden called Eden, where the presence of God is, where shalom exists. And from that garden flows a river. A river that brings life and healing to the nations, whose leaves do not wither and whose fruit does not fail. That wherever the river flows, wherever the spring comes up from the ground, everything will live. People and culture and land is healed. And here we have a story of a woman who meets God at a spring, a well, that she names Be'er, Lahoi, Roy, and a conflict between brothers, supposedly. But this brother, who has been separated from his stepbrother for a lifetime, is constantly found coming from that place. Why else? Would he come from there if he's not looking for his brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Is my neighbor's welfare my concern? Is the point of life for you to secure what you need? Is that the most fulfilling life you can live? 
where you and your ends are the most important? Or is there another way? Is there another possibility? Is there another river of thought, another stream of consciousness, another way of being human in the world that includes this story where wherever the river flows, this river of God's presence, it brings healing and hope and transformation and life. Jesus' most, one of his most famous interactions is, of course, at a well in John chapter 4 with a woman from Samaria who is the hated half-breeds from the north, one of the divides that is the strongest in ancient Israel, Jews and Samaritans. And Jesus is found crossing over that barrier, seeking the welfare of his sister, his hated non-Israelite, if you're going just by the ethnic lines and cultural lines. And what does he say to her? But what I bring, what I offer, this life, this way of being human, it is living water. And if you drink from it, it heals. And you don't have to drink again. It quenches your thirst. And so at Awaken, we've said, we've declared many times that our intention is to gather around a well. Why? Not just because it's a, you know, slick little device that we can imagine. No, because there is a story, a theme in scripture of wherever people are gathered around the well, wherever people are standing in the river, wherever people are planted by the stream, everything will live. So I ask you this morning to consider that truth. And I would ask you to bring that close to whatever conflict you have, whatever division you're experiencing, whatever family issue, animosity, whatever religious or cultural or whatever division you find yourself in the midst of or close to, what does it mean for you to leave this place today and go into that space with a different story, with a different, with a word of hope and healing, and where might you get that from? The scripture is offering this truth that that source, the the, the place where you can come and rest and heal and receive and be standing in the midst of and planted by and drawing from is the living presence of God that has been made known to us in Jesus. It's one possibility. Maybe you have other ideas on how you show up in those places where healing and hope and transformation is needed and necessary. But I would offer it to you this morning for your consideration that it is the way that hope and healing comes. So let me offer a word of prayer, some moments for you to consider, and a bit of silence. God, this morning as we take a bit to think about this story, which maybe we've read uh, or has been read to us or for us, Uh, we've injected our own cultural assumptions into Isaac and Ishmael, and who these brothers were, and what may or may not be between them. And it seems that there's a possibility that these are brothers that have found each other again, for whom there is affection, and even restoration. And so whatever conflict exists here today in our world that's connected to these two brothers may have something to do with something else. God, for the places in our life which are broken and need healing, um, that we maybe have taken a, a, a moment of respite from today as we're here, that we go back to 
I pray that by your spirit you would speak to my friends and encourage, um, invite a word of hope and life and transformation that we might be different kinds of people offering a different story connected to your life, Jesus, and the well that you are. So Holy Spirit, do your work, I pray. As we take some time this morning and close our gathering, I want to offer a couple things to you. Uh, first of which is uh, Eucharist and communion. Some part of Sacred Sunday is we get to see that. That's uh, Eucharist in stained glass. Um, but on my right and left, that's available to you. Uh, there's red wine and white grape juice. I invite you to make your way down the side aisles if you'd like and receive that. Take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. Know that the body of Christ has been broken for you and the blood of Christ has been shed for you. Um, Mel, you may have noticed we only sang one song earlier and we've got a few songs here. This first song um, is a song I'd love to just have you receive. Uh, it's a song that asks a question that I think is appropriate for this morning. Um, it's written by a friend of Awaken named Cara Loudon and it's a song entitled, um, Will You Come? which I think is a question I found myself asking. I'm guessing at some point in your life, maybe you have as well. And um, So I'd invite you to, to hear it in that sense. Will you come when I'm lost? Will you come when I'm broken? When you come? Uh, and, and then also turn that around. I think this is a question that people who are experiencing division in, in, in harm and in our world ask, like, who will come and heal? Um, so... Listen, receive this first song, and then after that song is over, um, if you'd like to receive communion, um, please make your way up to the table. I what an idea. We're not going to study war anymore. Like, no more time, no more energy built to tearing things or people down. No more investment in strategies of war. Rather, we're going to invest our time in peace in bringing peace, in being peace, in receiving peace, in offering peace. So to the church gathered in St. Paul, pretty clear, pretty straightforward. Go in the spirit of the Lord, in the spirit of Christ, the spirit of the Prince of Peace for crying out loud. We're coming up to Advent. And be peace where you are, where you find yourself. Uh, plant yourself rooted next to, in near the water, near the spring, in the river, and receive the life, hope, healing transformation that Christ brings and then be that it's, I mean it's not it's not that complicated right so uh, the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace the kind of peace that like doesn't make any sense so that's what you have in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit and the church said together, amen. Grace and peace to you. See you next week. You can find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakencommunity or on Twitter at awakencommunity. See you next time.